0: Good morning, Hope Elam. Oh, let's try it again. It's 11 o'clock, people. Good morning, Hope Elam. Awesome! We are so glad that you are here. Whether you are worshiping with us in our online family or here in the room at 25th and University, we're so glad that you are here today. My name is John, one of the pastors here, and we could not be more excited to have you here. Want to welcome you in on this holiday weekend? If you are joining us from out of town, a friend, or a family member of a member here at Hope Elam, we love new people at Hope Elam, and we're so glad that you are here on this Independence Day uh, weekend. Want to welcome you in? In fact, I don't know, maybe. don't know the people next to you or not, doesn't really matter, turn to the person next to you, look at them and say, I love it that you're here. Just tell them that right now. I love it that you're here. Oh man, I love it. I love it. Even if you don't, you can say, I love it that you're here. So that's great. We have a lot to celebrate uh, this weekend. Uh, Certainly the, the freedom that we have as a nation, we give God thanks for the freedom that we have to come together, the many freedoms that we have as well, and ultimately we give thanks to God for the freedom that we have to come and worship and that we have breath in our lungs every moment of every day. We can give God praise for that. Amen? So we give God thanks for the freedom that we have as a nation, and yet we know that we have come so far, and yet we have so far to go. And so at the same time we celebrate that freedom, we continue to work towards the changes that will make that freedom available for every single person, for all of our brothers and sisters to access those same freedoms. Amen? That's who we are. Because we're one. Everybody say one. And so I want to start with a question this morning. What does it mean to be one? What does it mean to have unity? What does it mean to be unified? On this weekend that we say we are one nation under God, maybe a better and more important question is what does it mean for the church to be one? What does it mean for us to be one? Because way more important than the nation that is unified, I believe these days the world is looking to the church for a picture of what that looks like. And if we can't be united as the church, as brothers and sisters of Christ, what good is it to export it? Amen? What does it look like for us to be unified? What is it that ultimately creates unity? And that's a challenge in the world that we live in. Sometimes we think it's that we all agree on everything, or we vote the same way, or we live in the same areas, or we look the same, or we come from the same racial backgrounds, or the same church backgrounds. We all have the same preferences in worship. We pray the same way. We raise our hands the same way. We all like the same things when it comes to church, or worship, or any of those things that could ultimately divide us. Are those actually the things that define us? Are those the things that makes a church one? Well, God's word has something to say about that. Let's look at this passage from Acts chapter 4. So to set the stage, uh, some of the apostles led by Peter and John are gathering God's people together. And they're still defining who they are as the church and what they're going to be all about. And let's read this together nice and loud. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All the believers were united in heart and mind. They were filled with the what? And what was the result of that? They were united in heart and mind. One of the things that I love about the initial response, the effect, the fruit of the early followers of Jesus being filled by the Holy Spirit, one of the immediate results of that is that they were unified. The Spirit draws us together because we are one people worshiping the same God, one God, One spirit, that spirit then ultimately unites us as God's people. And this is why this is so crazy. It's very similar to the world today, very similar to our gathering of the church this morning. This gathering of the church was anything but homogeneous. It was a very diverse group of people. You had young and old. Rich and poor were followers of this new Jesus movement. You certainly had Jew and Greek and certainly Jew and Gentile, and there was plenty of differences. There was plenty of things that could have divided them, and similar in our world today, their world back then, there was plenty of reasons for them to stay divided. But there was one place where in the midst of all of their differences, they could come together and be one, and be united of heart and mind. And that unifying factor was the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? What I don't want you to miss is that in our divided world, if you look back at the way the early church functioned, sameness was not the qualifier for oneness. Sameness was not the same thing as oneness. For the early Christians, oneness didn't require all of us to be the same or to think the same way or to have the same values or priorities or vote the same way or be, in the, be in from the same background. Oneness didn't require sameness and the truth is, true is for us today as well. One of the things that we say around Hope Elam. A lot is that the Jesus who unites us is stronger, is greater than the differences that could divide us. And I can't think of a more important time for us to remember that. Tragedy after tragedy, headline news after headline news, sensitive, difficult topic after sensitive topic, things that could divide us. And it would be so easy to jump the way that the world does and just make it polarizing. And it pulls us farther apart. It is so important for us to remember as the church, what is it that unites us? Ultimately, what is it that pulls us together? And our job is not to just pander to culture and say, well, we're going to go along with what everybody else thinks, but to be a prophetic voice as the church and to not shy away from difficult topics and to speak right in to what God's word has to say about these things. And so we do that, and we we speak about difficult things. We don't avoid those, and we also don't play to some lukewarm middle. We let the word of God speak into these things. And I want to use this as a little opportunity. If you're not getting our weekly e-newsletter that we send out as pastors every Friday, I would encourage you to do that. We take a deeper dive into these topics and the, the Supreme Court decision that happened recently and how God's word speaks into those. And we refuse to reduce complex, difficult, sensitive topics like this. Whether it's gun control or abortion, you go down the list. We're not going to reduce that to some sound bites on social media. and and just use it to draw us even farther apart and polarize us. I believe that a polarized world is desperate for a unified church, for something that's different than what the world can offer, where we can all come together and ask that question, ultimately, what is it that unites us? Is it that we all vote the same way? Is we have the exact same response on social media? What is it that ultimately draws us Together And in the early church, for some reason, we discover as much as we get that twisted in our world today, oneness did not require sameness, and it doesn't today either. There is a unifying factor, and his name is Jesus. And that mission that he sent us on to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus and its mission. And I've seen multiple glimpses of that in you as a church over this last month. Just to highlight a few, for, for those of you that were at our Summer Bash a few weeks ago, how many of you were at our Juneteenth Summer Bash? Anybody there? Give a little, little woot woot out there. Okay, a few of you were there. Awesome. Over 500 people, four different churches, variety of denominations, racial backgrounds, black, brown, white, young, old, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat. For those two hours, could it be that maybe that was just a glimpse of heaven? Could it be that that's what the direction that God is calling us to as a church we can tear down racial lines and denominational lines and say, we're going to be one in our differences. I know it's popular to say, I don't see color. The problem with that is God does. God sees color, and he created it, and that makes our oneness even stronger. Amen? You, you go right down the list. You go right, I, I know what people, I know their intentions when they say things like that, but our oneness is made even stronger by our differences, not in spite of them. That's where oneness as the church has its power. What you don't realize is that a part of that uh, Saturday and then for the next couple weeks we've been collecting resources could not be more timely. To remember that God cares about women and God cares about the unborn. God cares about life. And one of the ways that we've done that is collect these donations over the last couple weeks for the Young Women's Resource Center here in Des Moines that supports women, young women, and babies, and infants, and children all over the metro area. If you want to know what a church believes, look at what they do, not just what they say. Not just what some guy in a suit says from the stage. Look at their actions. Look at what God is doing through the local church. And we continue to do that. Oneness does not require sameness. Got another glimpse of this the other night. Flash forward, or excuse me, flash back uh, our last call team meeting of our pastoral search team that's in the process of getting ready to call uh, an additional pastor to join us here at Hope Elam. And I will tell you what, I love this group of people. I think I'm going to start a new small group because I just like hanging out with them so much. Such an awesome group of people, privileged to come together and we're we're praying into and discerning where God's calling us in the future as a church and who that additional pastor might be. And I will tell you this, I got emotional in the middle of the meeting. I'm sitting around there with this incredibly diverse, awesome group of servant leaders from our church. And here's the thing. It just hit me. We're one church. We're one church. We're hiring a pastor for one church. We're not two churches that happen to be separate. We are one church. One body, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. We are one church. We're one family, and as we prayed together, I just felt this incredible sense of unity, of oneness, not sameness, but oneness pour into that room. Jesus and his life-changing mission. That's what we're looking for in an additional pastor. That's the heart of this pastor. And in a world where so much is changing, I can tell you something that's not going to change. We are a Jesus-focused, Bible-based, (laughs) spirit-filled, multicultural church in the city. That's who we are. That's not changing. Could not be more excited about that process. And hopefully we'll have some very exciting news for you in the very near future about the future of this church and where we're going as well. So stay tuned for that. But it didn't end there. The night before that, on Wednesday night, if you haven't been to Wednesday night, who's been to Wednesday night worship before, by the way? Awesome. So, uh, if you haven't been to Wednesday night worship, Sunday's great, but I'm telling you, you can double dip, and that's allowed. You should come on Wednesday as well. So, a little smaller crowd on Wednesday, and what we did is we started, we had a worship night, and we had some time of prayer, and then our awesome worship team invited everybody up on the stage, and we all worshiped together. We had a little cross in the middle, and then we all stood around, and we worshiped Together, because heaven forbid we would think that worship is some kind of performance and that the people up here are the performers and that the people out there are the audience. Maybe we're just all worshipers. Amen? That's who we are. That's who we are on stage. And we gathered around that cross. And as I looked around, (laughs) there's black, there's brown, there's white, there's young, there's old, there's rich, there's poor, there's kids rolling on the floor, whatever. And I just looked around and I went... This is Hope Elam. This is a picture of the church. And bigger than that, this is a picture of the gospel. Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Christianity isn't some ladder that you climb. It's level ground where every single person, every single person is loved. Jesus and his life-changing mission. What is it that ultimately unifies us? In a world that's divided than ever, Hope Elam, keep shining your light. Keep being the church. Keep shining your lights for Jesus. Ultimately, that's what it's about. Jesus and his mission, and that's where we're going, and that's our focus for today. We're starting a brand new sermon series today. I know when you got up this morning, that was the first thing on your mind. You shot out of bed, and you said, I got to get myself to church. It's a brand new sermon series. Amen? So here we are, and we're talking about this series called Let Me Tell You a Story. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking all about the power of VHS tapes. I just see it if you're paying attention, all right? Maybe some of you remember that. No, we're going to be talking about the power of story. Anybody remember VHS tapes, by the way? You got a VCR? Who still has a VCR at home, by the way? Okay. I was talking to some college students this morning. I was explaining to them there used to be this old technology that was like a round disc. And you would actually put that. It was called a CD. And that just blew their mind for some of them. So, you know, it is what it is. What is the power of that? What is the power of that image? First of all, thanks to our awesome communications team, Ryan Tunick, Katie Pearson, the whole team, for doing these awesome graphics every week. They do a fantastic job in making all of those videos and everything like that. Why is that on the screen? Let me tell you a story. There's power in story. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus, sometimes we forget that Jesus was the, the smartest, wisest person to ever lived, And because he did that, Jesus knew how to communicate. Jesus knew the art of communication and how to reach people, and he knew if he wanted to convey information, he'd just teach. If he wanted to transform the human heart, you tell a story. I'll be honest with you. You're going to walk out of here in about two and a half hours by the time I'm done, and you're going to walk out of here, I'm just kidding, at some point, and you're going to forget about 95% of what I say. But I'm going to tell you a few stories today, here and up on the screen, and that's what you're going to remember a week from now. I guarantee it. Jesus knew that story is the language of the heart because life is a story. Life is not a problem to be solved. It's not an IRS form to fill out. Life is a story. It comes to you one day at a time, one page at a time. And Jesus knew that. And so in order to tell these complex theological or kingdom truths, Jesus would tell stories. I have had so many people ask me, John, I'm new to this church, and I'm trying to kind of feel out why you guys do what you do. You show a lot of video clips. You show all these clips from movies, and then you tell stories about your kids, and then you tell weird stories about something that happened to you. Why, why are you so weird? Why do you, I mean, I get that question a lot, but why do you use movie clips all the time? And I would challenge you to go back to the Gospels, and every single time that Jesus has to break down some complex theological kingdom truth, what does Jesus do? He tells them a parable, which is a story. Let me tell you a story. Because you're going to remember it. And that's what Jesus does today. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 15. Whether you got your old school hard copy Bible, you got your Bible app on your phone. Luke chapter 15. Jesus has been doing ministry for a while, and he's growing in popularity, but it's not with the crowd that you think. Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. There's some tax collectors, and I love this line, and some other notorious sinners. I don't know, you know, people like... You and me. Notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Verse 2, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And the crowd made a big gasp. (gasps) Even eating with them. Jesus is growing in popularity, but it's not with the crowd that you would think. It's not with the Pharisees. It's not with the religious people. It's not with the people of Jesus' day that you would think that were, quote-unquote, church-appropriate people. You know, when some people walk into church and you're like, whoa, they're here. And you're like, yep, they're here. Jesus had quite a following with people that didn't believe anything he said. Jesus had quite a following with people that had been pushed out by society. Outcasts. Sinners the poor, Jesus hung out with those people. You know those, those people, the people that you love to villainize on Facebook and Instagram, the people that you've lashed out at over the last couple weeks, the people that could not be more different than you. Jesus was passionately in love with those people. And I hate to break it to you, but to some other people, you are those people. So it's a good thing that Jesus loves those people, amen, because we're all those people. So Jesus is seeking after, the, and they even liked him so much to the fact that one of Jesus' nicknames was friend of sinners. You don't get to be a friend of sinners. You don't get to be a friend of people not like you by tolerating people not like you. You get to be a friend of people not like you by being a friend of them. Not being exactly the same, but by being a friend of them. And if we are going to be a church after Jesus' own heart, we are going to be a a church full of lost, broken, messy people. It's going to get real messy in here. And over the last couple months, I'll be honest with you, ministry's hard, amen? Ministry's messy. For some of you that start serving, you're like, oh, this isn't puppies and rainbows all the time. Being a local church in a broken, hurting neighborhood is hard, and it's messy, and it's inconvenient, and it doesn't always line up with my schedule, and you know what I would say? Welcome to the church, baby. Here we are, because here's the truth. You know you're on mission when it gets messy, and if it's not messy, you might want to check whether you're on the mission or not, because if you're going to be on Jesus's mission, you're going to be hanging out with a whole bunch of broken, and imperfect, messy people just like me and just like you. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's messy in here. Tell them that right now. It's messy in here. It's messy. Now turn back to that exact same person and say, and I think it might be you. Tell them that right now. <laughs> and I think it might be you. <laughs> Some of you are like, could I have about 10 minutes? I need to have a conversation with the person that I get. Got some things I need to say. It might be you. You know you're on mission when it gets messy, and this is our heart. This is Jesus' heartbeat, and this is our heartbeat as a church. One of the ways that we talk about these things as a church is our core values, and one of those is this. Let's read it nice and loud together. Lost people matter to God, so they matter to us. One more time. Lost people matter to God, so they matter to us. Oh, that's cute, John. Where did you guys come up with that slogan? Jesus. Jesus is explaining what he's about here in Luke chapter 19, and he says this. Let's read it nice and loud together. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what I'm about, Jesus says. You can make church or your broken, imperfect, difficult time with church hurt in the past, you can make that whatever you want it to be. And you can say, I don't want to have any part of that before. Or you can take Jesus at his word and let him come to you as he is. Jesus is passionately in love with the lost, And so it should not surprise us that one of the main things that Jesus loves to tell stories about in the Gospels is the lost being found. And so if you're there in Luke chapter 15, you see not one, not two, but three stories of the lost being found. A lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son that we know as the prodigal son, that as we found out a couple weeks ago was actually prodigals, prodigal sons, plural. The lost being found. And I know some of you have heard those stories a hundred times. You're like, I could good, I can check out for the rest of the sermon. Because, you know, it's really cute. Like, the lady loses her little coin and then she gets her broom and then she finds it. Yay! And then there's a little kind of, you know, cute and little chubby sheep, you know, that wanders off and the shepherd comes with his crook and gets the little cute sheep back. And that's great. And then this son, you know, he does some bad things and he goes away and then Jesus welcomes him back with open arms. That's great. End of story, Luke 15. And that's fine. Until you realize that the coin and the sheep and the prodigal is you. Or your neighbor. Or your friend. Or your family member. Or your coworker. Or the person you sit next to at the soccer game. Or the person that you see at the gym every week. Oh, now we're getting real. Oh, it might be me that's lost. It might be me that's wandering. I will tell you this. The people with the greatest hunger for this fancy church word we call evangelism, which is essentially sharing the good news, not with just our words, but with our life. The people in this church that do more inviting, more serving, more loving... More putting their arm around people, more tapping on people on the shoulder, more calling people up or texting people saying, I'll pick you up at this time and we're going to worship. We're going to small group. We're going to go serve together. The people that love the most, serve the most, invite the most, have the most care, have the most grace in this church are the people that have hit rock bottom. Are the people that have hit rock bottom, are the people that have nowhere else to turn. The people that are most passionate about reaching the one are the ones that realize they are the one. I've been there and maybe you're here this morning and you've had one of those moments where you're thinking to yourself, if it wasn't for God intervening, I would be that lost sheep that is still out there by myself. If it had not been for God. If it had not been for God. We will only understand the urgency of finding the one when we realize that we are the one. Hurt people hurt people. But healed people, God uses to help heal people. God uses people that are found to find others. Maybe, just maybe this morning, God wants to break something in you so that he can do something through you. Maybe God wants to use that broken vessel to shine his light through to go find the one. Jesus says this. This is how scandalous the story is. Verse 4. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? He'll hunker down and say, well, it's just one. I'm going to cut my losses. I've got 99% here, and I've got to take care of what I have so that I stay safe and comfortable. That's not what the story says. Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? The scandal of this story is not that a sheep ran away. The scandal of this story is that a shepherd left his entire flock behind because that one person is that valuable to God. That's the scandal of this story, is that you would leave everything behind. Maybe there was other shepherds. I don't know. God is passionate about you. God is passionate about the lost Being found. And when the lost are found, it's a big deal to God. So much, he says, that a full-blown party breaks out in heaven when people that are lost or broken, hurting, realize they can come home. There is so much joy in being found. When our kids were growing up, I'm sure you've heard of hide-and-seek, and and they would love to play hide-and-seek. We're growing out of that a little bit, but boy, was it fun when it lasted. And you kind of just suspend reality for a little bit to pretend that I can't actually see you, but this is how they would want to play hide-and-seek. Okay, Daddy, you count and then we'll hide but the problem is normally when you play hide and seek there's somebody that seeks and there's somebody that is found well they didn't want to play it that way because every time I would say ready or not here I come literally seven seconds later you know one kid's behind the drapes and Evie's got a pillow on her head and that's her hiding spot literally seven seconds later ready or not here I come and they come running out you found us <laughs> oh that was so much fun let's do it again Again and again, you found us, oh, you found us. And finally I just sat down, Caleb, it was like about six at the time, and I said, Caleb, that's not the game. You're supposed to hide. Okay, daddy, well, how about you hide and, and we'll find you. Okay, that'll be fun. And I hid, you know, probably it took them about eight minutes, but it felt like an hour to them, and Caleb comes because he can't find us. He's like, I don't really like that game. Let's not do it that way. Let's do it our way. I like that way better. That's way more fun. Why? Because there's joy in being found. And some of you think that you walked into a church service this morning. Big brick building on the corner of 25th and University. And you should know that there's a party going on in heaven because you got here today. There's a party going on in heaven because Jesus meets you right in the middle on your knees in your living room when nobody else is around. And you say, Jesus, I want to come home. There's a full-blown party that breaks out. When the lost... Are found. There is so much joy at the end of every single one of those lost and found stories in Luke 15. There is a party, there is joy, there is much rejoicing. When the shepherd finds his lost sheep, it says he puts it with joy on his shoulders. Not bitterness, not frustration, not anger or judgment at the past, but joy that the lost has been found. There is so much joy, and if we are not careful as a church, we will miss the point of the entire story. Stories like this, Jesus tells some to comfort you, and some stories Jesus tells in the Gospels to mess with you and shake us out of our comfort. And if we're not careful, we will think that the entire point of being a part of a church is to be safe and comfortable. And I've got my spot, and I've got my coffee, and I've got my breakfast plate, and I'm going to sit in the same place every week, and I'm good because i got my tradition. And hear me say this, there is nothing wrong with tradition. But I know some of you like, "Oh, we're not a traditional church, we're new. We're Hope Elam. Oh, you've got your traditions, because I watched some of you. Somebody that's new today on this holiday weekend sat in your normal spot and it threw you off, and you're dizzy. And it just threw you off, you're like, I, 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 "You're like a sheep without a shepherd here this morning." There is nothing wrong with tradition. The danger is when our tradition becomes traditionalism, and we start worshiping tradition and the way we've always done things instead of God. We don't worship tradition, we worship God. And the danger is is that we will get so safe and comfortable in thinking that I have my needs met. Maybe the reason that you're lacking joy is because you're constantly navel-gazing instead of looking outward to the needs of others. The shepherd didn't experience joy because he stayed home. The shepherd experienced joy because he went out and found the one that was lost. Maybe that's what's missing. Maybe that's the joy that's missing, and I don't want you to miss the joy. There are plenty of things around this church that it would be easy to go, well, I don't know, that's kind of messing with things a little bit, and it's not quite convenient for me. When we're full here on, on a weekend, we have plenty of space in the worship center. We'll build more pews, we'll set up more chairs, whatever we need to do. But there's a couple things being an urban church that gets, a little, growing urban church that gets difficult. Number one is parking. Can I get an amen? It's a little tricky sometimes. All right? Some of them go, yeah, yeah, Okay. <laughs> Seems like there's never, and then the second thing is that awesome breakfast line out there that a couple weeks ago ran out the front door. So praise God for that, right? That's pretty awesome as well. So about a month ago, it was a full house, it was a full Sunday, and I'm sure it was really difficult to find a place to park. And the lady walks up to me after worship and she said, Pastor John, I need to talk to you. And she said, I need to talk to you about the parking around here. And I said, wow, you know what, look at the time. I've actually got another meeting. No, I didn't say. I said, what about the parking? She said, it was terrible this morning. She said, I drove around the block four times, and I couldn't find a spot, and there's no places, you know, along 25th. I said, yeah, well, there's another great growing church down the road, and we share parking on the street with them. Isn't that great? She said, yeah, it was really hard to find a spot. I almost didn't make it to worship on time because the parking lot was full. And then I just sat on the side of the road, not in a parking spot, and God just spoke to me, and he said, you know what? Maybe I need to shift my priorities here and remember, praise God that I can't find a parking spot because there's a traffic jam for Jesus on 25th Street. So praise God for that. And I'm actually going to find joy and contentment in all of my circumstances as we sang this morning couple weeks ago I was making my way down the line as you were all waiting for breakfast when he was out the door and I was walking along and kind of doing my pastoral thing and you know telling people I'm sorry I have to wait for so long for breakfast I know it's inconvenient but I promise you it'll be worth the wait and that's great multiple people and this shows your heart this shows the heartbeat of the church multiple people said pastor John stop apologizing you know what's great about a really long line that runs all the way through the lobby it just gives us more time to meet people that we don't know yet I said, great, you can preach next week. That'll preach. I love that. And that shows the heartbeat of this church. Amen. That's what we're about. The shepherd put the lost sheep on his shoulders with joy. And if we are not careful, we will start acting like the 99 instead of the one that's been found. Sometimes God's got to do something in us so he can do something through us. What if a healthy church was a bunch of formerly lost sheep that have turned right back around after coming home to go find the one because they remember what it was like to not have a shepherd. And nobody wants to live that way. (laughs) To find just one more. That's cute, John. A nice little sermon about sheep, but I don't have any sheep, so I don't get it. Yeah, but you all have friends and family that you love and care about. A couple years ago, as a church, there was a gentleman that was a part of our church. We'll just say his name was Brad. Brad was a doing really well for himself, middle-aged guy, beautiful wife, kids, doing really well for himself financially, had a great job on the outside, beautiful Christian family, and they worshiped with us weekly. And they would come all the time and usually all together as a family. He was involved men's ministry and serving and all these things. And then a few months went by and I started not to see Brad so much anymore. I just see Maybe he would pop in and then his just wife, his kids, but never together. And then his wife and kids started to not come. like, something's up. And when we take our, our vows as ordained pastors, one of the things in those vows is that we vow to be as faithful as we can to be a shepherd of the flock that God has entrusted to our care. And sometimes that means you go after lost sheep. Not lost in some point the finger judgmental way, just I love you, man. I care about you. You're a part of my life. A couple weeks after that, I got an email from Brad, and it was pretty vague, and he kind of beat around the bush. And long story short, he just ended, I'll never forget this email. I saved it. And at the end, he just said, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I guess I'll see you when I see you. And if we were not the local church, I would say, great. I'm busy. I got plenty of things to do. It's just one. It's just one family. Sorry, man, I guess I'll see you when I see you, too. I got better things to do. (laughs) But instead, I did something crazy. I got my phone out, and I dialed the number, and I called him. I know! It's crazy, but I actually, you can do this. You can, that phone that's in your pocket or in your hand right now, you can actually, like, dial a number and then, like, talk to people. In real life, it's amazing. You should try it. And I called up Brad, and he answered. I said, hey, this is Pastor John. And literally the first thing out of his mouth, oh, am I in trouble? And I said, no, you're not in trouble. I'm just calling to, to check in on you. And we talked for a while. And uh, he said, I, I wasn't going to tell you this. I just said, hey, I miss you. What's going on? I wasn't going to tell you, but a couple months ago, wife and the girls moved out on me. I, I become a workaholic. Started drinking a little bit each night, and then it just got worse. And she'd finally just had enough, and so she took the kids and she left. I don't know what depression is, but I'm depressed. I don't know what feeling completely lonely is, but I'm lonely. And uh, I just know that if I came to church, I don't want anybody to ask me how I'm really doing. And so I just figured, John, that people at church, well, they'd all be disappointed, and, and, and you'd be disappointed in me, and I'm sure that God is disappointed in me. And I could have left it right there. And I try really hard at pastoral care to be a good listener. I mean, that's something we could all grow in is empathetic listening and caring. And normally I would in that moment and just say, yeah, that sounds really hard. Well, I guess I'll see you when I see you. But I don't know what it was that rose up in me in that moment, but I just said, Brad, we've known each other a long time and I need to speak some truth in love to you right now. I miss you. We miss you. And I know that it would be easy to define yourself by the things that have happened to you or the mistakes that you've done and be so worried about walking in those doors. But I said, I have seen far too many people over the years in the church that were on fire for Jesus Christ And I'm done with the, I guess I'll see you around. I guess I'll see you when I see you. It's not okay because we miss you. And most importantly, God misses you in his house. And he loves you. And he's never left you. And it would be easy to define yourself, Brad, by the things that you've done or the things that have happened to you. But you are a son of the most high God. And God is passionately in love with you. And I want to see you back in the front row next Sunday. Next Sunday, he's in the front row with prayer partners surrounding him, (laughs) praying for him. What if pursuing the lost can also mean not letting the people that you love the most settle for less than God's best for them? What if being lost is not just for those people, you know, those heathens, those unbelievers, those non-religious people, those non-Christians? What if being lost is me and you, sometimes that when we are in need of help, we run away from the church instead of running to the church, run away from God instead of running towards God? What if being lost is sometimes when you're stuck? What if being lost is sometimes when you're wandering around? struggling with loneliness. And I know, I know it seems like it's easier when you're in pain to run away, but there's somebody here this morning, I just have this sense that the very thing that you need and the very people that God has put in your life to help you through this difficult time are the very people that you are running away from. And God says, I gave them to you for a reason. Sometimes the way that God wants to pursue you as a lost sheep is through some other sheep saying, come back, come home. Bah! Come back! (laughs) This is the life that you were created for. You don't have to do it alone. Find one more. What does it look like to be that kind of a church? (laughs) Number one, it starts, maybe it's coming to care training this week. Ah, it's not really my thing. It's all of our thing as a follower of Jesus. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to get food. It's one lost sheep telling another lost sheep to come home to the shepherd. We're going to equip you to walk alongside people in care training. We're going to equip you in prayer. We're going to equip you to walk alongside people that are struggling with mental health. We're going to equip you to walk alongside and be really, really good listeners. Something that hardly anybody knows how to do anymore. To listen. What does it look like to be that kind of a church? To be a church of radical grace. Everybody say radical. Radical, Not just put our arms around the brads, but there's a whole bunch of brads out there. There's families that are hurting. There's refugee families that surround us in these very apartments. I met people from six different countries at breakfast this morning at Hope Elam. Praise God for that. The world has come to us. There are refugee families coming from all over the world to us that we can love and support. There are mothers, there are young women with unplanned pregnancies that instead of pointing a finger in judgment, we can come alongside and love them as the church. What if that's what we were known for? putting our arms around people. There's a whole bunch of Brad's out there. There's people that are struggling with food scarcity in our neighborhood, and that's why 900 meals go out of this building every single week. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus, people of radical grace, no questions asked, no resumes. What would it look like to volunteer for Vacation Bible School? I'm telling you this. Some of you have got it all twisted in your mind. Oh, it's this cute little kids program that the children's ministry puts on once a year. Have you been to Vacation Bible School? It's a rave for kids, for Jesus. And you're missing out. And you're missing out on the party. And I will tell you this. If you think it's for somebody else, it's not. There will be more families that don't know Jesus and don't have a church home inside these doors for Vacation Bible School than any other time of the church here, and you're not going to want to miss it. There's going to be families that walk in and say, oh, thank God, a couple hours of childcare for my kid. I'm exhausted, and that's great, and we will provide that. But as they're walking into this church, I wonder if they're going to look around and say, I knew VBS was for kids, but there's like twice as many of adults as kids here. What is it with these people? They're nuts. They're nuts. There's all these adults here for vacation Bible school and they're going to look around and go, I wonder if it's just a kids program or I wonder if the heartbeat of this church is people that when they say, it's no accident, they're here, we've been praying for you. What if they actually meant it? What if we're that kind of crazy as a church? What if we're that radical of a church with God's radical grace? Oh, there's a lot of brads out there. Who's going to call them back home? Not as projects to fix, but as God's people to love. If you're lost today, you're not a project. You are a man or woman made in God's image. And his call to you is come back home. And I know that it might be difficult for some of us because I'm guessing if I had a show of hands, there's no sheep herders or goat herders in the audience today. But everything changed for me when I heard this story about, yes, a real-life shepherd named Murat who moved his entire family to kind of an obscure country in Central Asia. And as you watch his stories, you watch this final video, a parable, if you will, a story, if you will, let it speak to the deeper kingdom truth that every one of us is a shepherd and one, every one of us is a lost sheep. Take a look. So often you and I think that to make a real difference in the world or make an impact, Is I've got to go to a different country somewhere and become a missionary. Or you could just love your neighbor right where you already are. I got to go save the world. (laughs) And yet we forget that in so many ways the world has come to us right around these neighborhoods at 25th and University. Are we going to be faithful stewards? Are we going to be missionaries in our own neighborhoods where God's already placed us? And it starts by being people of radical generosity, people of radical love, people of radical grace right where we are. If there was two things I want you to remember today more than anything else, number one, remember that you and I are the one. And let that vulnerability lead you to dependency. Dependency especially on a weekend where we tote our chests and pop our chests out and say, look how independent we are. That's great for countries, but for followers of Jesus, today we declare our dependence on our shepherd, that we're desperate for him, that we're nothing without him. Remember that you and I are the one. And number two, let that be the catalyst for you to go find one more, not as a project to fix, but as a person to love. Amen? Leave the 99. Who's your one? Go love them this week. Let's stand. Wherever you are, online or in the room, let's prepare our hearts for Holy Communion. Of our dependency on Christ, (laughs) Jesus made it pretty clear. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread And he broke it, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it to them and gave it to them to eat, saying, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, take and drink, this is the new covenant in my blood, this is my promise to you, that I will wash you clean, that I will forgive all of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. As we prepare our hearts for Holy Communion, we pray together the words that will be on the screen, the words of our Lord's Prayer, and I would challenge you, That instead of some religious rote prayer that you go through the motions with, slow down. Listen to the heartbeat of God and talk to your Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us.